Hello and welcome to episode 93 of Beekeeping at Five Apple Farm. Getting close to 100 episodes on this adventure of a podcast. And even on episode 93, I want to stop and pause and to say thank you to the patrons who keep this show on the air. And I appreciate each of you so very much. I want to let everyone know that after the bills are paid for the podcast, I would like to make a contribution to some type of beekeeping charity at the end of the year. And if you have ideas of good organizations who do work in beekeeping, particularly to support good beekeeping causes, please let me know because I would love to make a donation in the name of all the listeners of this podcast. You can email me at blueridge714 at gmail.com. So today I am going to talk to you about a book. It's kind of a book review and then it's kind of a book pass along. This is a used beekeeping book that a member of our club gave me after she had completed it. It's called The Rose Hive Method, Challenging Conventional Beekeeping by Tim Rowe. And it is an Irish book published by Green Hat Books out of Ireland. And so I'm not exactly sure where she picked it up, but it was passed on to me and I found it very interesting. And I'm going to talk to you about some things about this book. You might be interested in some of Tim's methods. And then after this show over at the Patreon page, which is patreon.com slash fiveapple, F-I-V-E-A-P-P-L-E. Over at the Patreon page, I will be passing this book along to one of the patrons who expresses interest. So if you're interested in a pass along book, please join us over there and let me know on the post for the show what it is that interests you about this book. I will get a friend to tell me a number from one to however many comments there are. And then whatever comment is that one on the list, that's who I will pass along the book to. Just so you won't get your hopes up too much. It is a used book (laughs) and uh, actually well used. And after you read it, you are very welcome to pass it on to another beekeeping friend or send it back to me and I'll pass it along to somebody else again. That's the fun thing about books. That's the only downside to electronic books that I've found is you don't have that thing to pass on to other people. Before I get into this book review, I want to mention something of concern, particularly to beekeepers in the Western North Carolina area. We have had a freakishly warm, dry fall and winter so far, if you can even call it winter. We've had a scattering of really cold nights, and then the rest, it's been the strange, balmy Alabama days that I remember from spending Thanksgiving holidays in Alabama in shorts and a tank top, you know, that kind of southern holiday. So the impact that that's having on bees is they are going through their stores unbelievably fast. When they are awake and out there flying, they're just eating like little horses in there. And so the rock-heavy hive that you carefully set up in the fall might be shockingly less heavy than it was. I have found this out on many hives that I'm quite startled by how fast they're eating. As you all know, I really go to lengths to try to get them to overwinter on their own honey whenever possible. But I tell you, I'm going to be buying more winter patties to put them on (laughs) this winter. And if you don't want to buy winter patties, sugar bricks are another great way to put emergency sugar on top of the cluster. And I'm pretty sure I did a whole podcast on that with the recipe and the link and everything. 
If for any reason you can't find it, you're also welcome to email me at blueridge714 at gmail.com and I will find that link and send it to you. But the takeaway is to keep an eye, please, on the weight of your hives. When it's cold, you have to do that by by tilting them or or some people weigh them. I, I can't do that, but I do tilt them. And basically, if they're not really heavy, then they're probably going to need food around here by the end of January. Usually it's, you know, the end of January and February that keeps me up at night worrying about do they have enough to last until it's warm enough for me to get in there and check for sure and and it's warm enough to feed them syrup, which doesn't come for a long time here in the mountains, or at least it seems that way to me. I'm sure the, the Michigan people are chuckling right now, but I don't know of anything with a slow slower arrival pace than spring for my mind and heart. So please keep an eye on the weight of your hives. Starvation is so incredibly preventable. It is a completely preventable cause of death for a honeybee colony that is lucky enough to be happen to be connected to a beekeeper who is carefully looking out for them. There are some who will say Oh, well, if, you know, they can't manage to make it through the winter, then they're not good bees and I don't need them anyway. Well, I beg to differ because they may not be great bees. They may not be great bees, A, (laughs) and B, they may not be thrifty bees, meaning they may not be the, the genetic line of bees that tend to get by on low amounts of honey. And C, they may have had a crappy honey season and that's not their fault. You may have a really good box of bees, and if you have them in a spot, in a, in a microclimate, in a region that had a bad drought or a really bad sequence of rain or just late frost or whatever weather misery to a bee caused them to not have a good nectar season and not have a chance to put up enough honey to get through the winter. In nature, of the hives that are out there and the wild hives that are nearby <laughs> in any given area... Nature is okay with weeding out all but two. That's that's how nature works, and that is okay with nature. But in our current humanized world and setting, in my opinion, we as humans have the option to be helpful co-workers with all of nature. I know sometimes city dwellers in particular seem to have this idea that out there somewhere there's these huge expanses of wild land. And I think out west, maybe that's true. But in the East, that is not true. <laughs> All you have to do is do a, a low flyover and, and there are humans pretty much on every square speck of land, it, it seems. And that's not a bad thing. I mean, here we are, we're trying to do good things in the world, but we do affect the landscape and that affect what the bees deal with. Okay, I'm not, I'm not going to climb on that soapbox um, right now, <laughs> but please, please check the level of stores by weight in your hive. And if it is iffy, or if you feel iffy, or if you're too new to really know for sure, then make or obtain some type of emergency feed. Fondant, depending on where you are, sugar bricks, you can make those. You can put them right above the hole in the inner cover. Or winter patties, which you can do the same thing with. With a spacer rim, you can put those sugar bricks or winter patties right on top of the top bars. And they have that delicious heavy roof that they can just nibble on during the ice cold nights and get them through till spring. If you happen to have bees that you're not terribly impressed with or are not thrifty enough for your region, if you get the live colony through, then you have the foundation 
to buy a mated queen from a good thrifty line and hopefully a good disease-resistant line and requeen. It's the easiest thing in the world. It's super easy in spring when they're wanting to swarm anyway. So I'll talk more about that in the winter, about if you get a colony of bees through the winter, you have the foundation to get a good start. I am already seeing notices for nukes and packages for sale in the spring. Oh, and I have really mixed feelings about this because on one hand, I mean, I'm happy. I'm happy to see good beekeepers making a living from selling bees. On the other hand, I'm always like, oh, those are not all beginners that are looking for nukes and packages. And what that means to me is that they must have lost their bees because if they are going to come out in spring with even a couple of hives, you can make a bunch of hives from a couple of healthy hives in the spring because that's what they want to do. The bees want to make new colonies. So anyway, I always have concerns when I see the just huge business it is to make and sell nukes and packages because not all those are beginners. And I really hope your bees make it through. If they don't, it's okay. Don't give up. You either didn't know enough to get them ready or there were circumstances beyond your control. It could be any combination of those two things. So whatever happens, don't give up. Right toward the end of the year, I will do my, <laughs> what has become a holiday tradition of, or, or the January 1st, right around January 1st, doing my don't give up podcast. Because in beekeeping, we just need all the encouragement we can get to keep going. Because this is not an easy thing you took up. If you wanted something easy, you should have taken up crochet like I do <laughs> to relax. And it's easy and I'm not good at it, but it's easy and relaxing. Beekeeping is neither. Okay, so anyway, check that food on your darling bees. Don't let them starve. It's a waste and it's avoidable and it's up to you. Okay, so there's your charge. All right, so let me jump into talking about this book, The Rose Hive Method by Tim Rowe out of Ireland. I'll read you. I'll read, I'll read you the introduction. It's a pretty interesting introduction. He says, even though I manage around 100 hives and have been keeping bees for 35 years, it was the wild colonies which really started me thinking about the way we keep our bees. Bees living in the way bees have evolved to live over the last 120 million years in a cavity made by a tree. Not that we see many bees living like this these days, of course. People have cut down most of the trees since we began farming, especially the hollow ones. So while bees are forced into much less suitable homes like human houses, and even those are often empty since the varroa mite has arrived, so observing bees in their natural state is a rare privilege. But I suggest we could learn a lot from them, and it's high time we did. A hollow tree is the perfect safe, dry, insulated home for bees, where they can build comb in the way they want to. In return, the bees deliver nutrients to the tree collected from miles around in the form of feces and dead bees, presumably amounting to many tons over decades of occupancy. I want to pause here because, yes, I would believe that is true, judging from the crazy way the grass grows right in front of the hive. All right, back to the book. This partnership seems so beneficial to both parties that I argue it's probably not coincidence, instead yet another example of stunning natural symbiosis. The point is all hives are imitations of hollow trees. They work because they allow bees to do what bees want to do. Make comb, store food, raise brood in a breathable, waterproof, defendable space. But hives are not the same as hollow trees and they often have serious deficits, especially modern hives. 
Modern beekeeping began in 19, I'm sorry, 1852 with the Reverend Langstroth's brilliant invention, the removable frame hive. We all use it still, or one of its many variations, with the exception of top bar beekeepers, more on those later. It's brilliant because we can remove a comb, safe inside a wooden frame, inspect it, exchange it, extract it, and then return it without hurting any bees. I used the national and commercial variations of them for many years, and I would still be using them still, except the two sizes of boxes irritated me so much. Brood boxes and supers, deep frames and shallow. Every book I read, every beekeeper I met accepted them as standard and necessary, even when they make the most make even even though they make most beekeeping jobs complicated, clumsy, and crude. With two sizes of box, I'll pause here to say, hey, we have three here in the U.S. The frames are only interchangeable within half of the hive. A curious arrangement, to say the least. Back as a naive teenager, with my first halves, hives and my stack of beekeeping books, I'd assume that bees preferred hives like that, even needed hives like that. But since then, I've seen enough wild bees' homes to know better. Honeybees left to themselves make combs of all shapes and sizes, from just a few centimeters tall to well over a meter. They adapt to the cavity they find, building perfect comb using nothing but their own wax and tremendous skill. And then they arrange their colony within these combs in a precise but fluid way. Okay, I'm going to stop there. Isn't that beautiful, precise but fluid? That really captures bees because they are that way. And it, that's some of the things that's so hard to teach, that it's it's precise, but it's not the same every time. So he goes on, and I will, um, I'll go ahead and tell you overall. I think there's some YouTubes on the Rose Hive Beekeeping Method, and that's R-O-S-E, like the flower. But the gist is that in Ireland, using the national boxes and the commercial boxes, which I think they're, I think their commercial boxes are pretty much like our Langstroth boxes here in the U.S. And if there's any, if there are any Irish beekeepers who want to correct me on that, I would so love an email from you, blueridge714 at gmail.com. What Tim does is he developed a box that, to my eye, looks very similar to a medium Langstroth box that we use. So deeper than a shallow honey super and more shallow than a deep brood box. And he uses all the same box. What does this sound like? So this is one of the reasons why this person gave me this, because she was like, oh, I think this is how you do, you do bees. So he has pictures here of the standard hive with the deep brood box, super, super, and then a shallow super on top. And then the rose hive box, which is rose, 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 rose. It's a little drawing. And that is the same scenario used by any beekeeper. And I think there's a lot of us now who use all the same size box. It opens up so many possibilities, as you've heard me say a thousand times if you've listened to this podcast long. The great thing about this to me is this is only the second book I've ever read that really went into depth about how to manage those hives, with the other book being some of Michael Bush's work and website. The thing I love about this little book is he really goes into using the cross compatibility of the same size boxes throughout the hive for keeping fresh wax. So he does what, what I do, for example, in the early spring on a colony, the lower box or boxes could be nearly completely empty. And typically the cluster is up at the top. So for me, with all the same size boxes, this gives a wonderful opportunity 
first of all, I don't have to worry about um, rotating the boxes like um, many people do. If I want to give the bees on top more space, I can simply pull out those boxes on the bottom that are empty and stick them on top of the stack. There they go. They've got room above their heads, which is what they want. And there's no danger of breaking the cluster as long as I'm careful that those two, those boxes on the bottom are truly empty. So he has little drawings of that technique, which to me is, I just can't imagine doing it any other way. I have had such frustrations using a non-standard hive recently that I love, but gosh, the non-standardness of the box and not being able to exchange all of my equipment with that one is so frustrating because with all my medium boxes, as he goes into depth, you can use, you can pull frames to make nukes. You can swap things around. You can put boxes on top in order to let the bees fill those with honey and extract those and then melt down the wax to get rid of your old wax. And that little detail I can do since I don't use chemicals on my hives, then I can use any frame as a honey frame. And yes, I do believe it might make the honey a little darker but I also noticed that my honey customers keep describing, oh, your honey doesn't taste like any other honey. It's the best. I mean, that's what they say to me. They might say that to every beekeeper. But I can't help but wonder if people are not used to tasting honey out of a natural bee comb. And I'm sure it adds resins and propolis and flavor and that we might not be used to in honey. But that's an aside, sorry. Okay, back to the book. The other thing that I really enjoyed seeing in this book is a technique to add space. So we're talking about in the expansion season, like particularly late spring, all through the summer, you open a, a hive and they are packed. I mean, wall to wall bees, you, you can't even put the boxes back together. So many bees and you know, they need more room, but you also know with all those combs absolutely crammed together, that if you just put a box of drawn comb or even worse, a box of foundation on top of that they're still going to be all crammed up sure a few worker bees will go up and explore that top box and maybe hopefully gradually move up there start moving the brood nest up that way but what's more likely that time of year unless it's a very young queen is that they want they start to get ready to swarm so he shows a technique which he just calls adding an empty box in the middle <laughs> so he shows two boxes that he's overwintered a hive in. And for example, if you were using 10 frame medium langstress, that would be a nice size hive to over overwinter in. So let's say you have those two medium 10 frames. Now two medium eight frames, that's a little small. That's really the same volume as a double nuke or the same volume as a single 10 frame deep. So it's a little small, so you have to keep keep up with those. My favorite overwinter configuration for eight frame mediums in my climate is eight, uh, whoops, not eight, is three to four eight frame medium boxes that are just rock heavy. To me, that is the dream winter arrangement. For overwintering outside nukes, I have found that if I have two medium eight frame boxes, really heavy with a nice population, then unless we just have some kind of crazy winter, they get through beautifully as well. But anyway, so he shows this stack of two boxes, overwintered hive, it says. And then he shows picking up the top box and putting an empty box of either foundation or drawn comb right in the middle of those two boxes. Now you have three boxes. The beauty of this is that suddenly you have split the brood nest. So 
every bee in there is going to check out that middle box and begin filling it, begin rearranging. Now, obviously, that is something you would never do if the weather is still getting cold or even chilly, because you would then split the brood nest that had this big empty box in the middle, and that would be disastrous. But in the expansion season, in late warm spring and warm summer, this is a fabulous technique that works great for me. I've taught it to several people I've mentored, and we have joked that I I would just call it radical addition of space. And so we literally would abbreviate it in our notes, R-A-S, a radical addition of space. And that means that you broke that brood nest probably right in half and put all that space in there. I have found it to be a wonderful kind of emergency technique if they're looking like they're thinking about swarming and I don't want them to swarm. I mean, I I don't ever want them to swarm. (laughs) I would much rather make splits and divisions and artificial swarms so that I get to keep them all. I live in a forest and let me tell you, they will find a hollow tree out there and they do not, at my farm at least, they don't seem to ever, hardly ever, cluster in a swarm in a place that I can get them. I did have some exceptions last spring with some tiny swarms out of mating nukes. That was beekeeper error, but I did I did catch some of those. And actually one of those is my is one of my very favorite new hives. But anyway, there it was on page 52, my radical addition of space technique and it turns out beekeeping there's nothing new under the sun. And so that was pretty fun. And that is a good technique and you can only do it if all your boxes are the same size. On page 54, he has a great drawing and In fact, I took a screenshot of this with my phone so that I could show it to new beekeepers. And he basically, in two boxes, he shows the egg shape or orb shape cluster. And he shows how, if you split it, how half that cluster's on the top, half's on the bottom. But anyway, it's a nice little, super simple drawing to envision where the live cluster, where the brood nest of bees is in a hive. So he has, he spells out quite a few techniques that I have found to be very useful that you can only use easily if all your boxes are the same size. That's why I love it. I would say this is a a book for an intermediate beekeeper. I don't think it's great for a brand new beekeeper because there are some techniques that you sort of have to know beekeeping to do them without uh, messing things up. I mean, like for example, that radical addition of space (laughs) that he calls adding an empty box in the middle. That would be a catastrophe in the wrong season. It would be bad going into fall. It would be bad too early in the spring. And by bad, I just mean hard on the bees, uh, potentially fatally hard on the bees, because you would be splitting a brood nest that needs to be kept together in order to stay warm. There are some some things he talks about that do require you to know some basic things. I would say this is probably a good book for a beekeeper in their third to fifth year of beekeeping. And by that, what I mean by that is your third or fifth consecutive ability to get bees through winter. Only when you've had that back-to-back experience do you really understand beekeeping? Because if you start with new bees in the spring and then they die in the winter, you're starting over the next year. Now, hopefully you protected the drawn comb since we know it is treasure and it will make your next start a thousand times easier. But that's still not the same experience as coming out on the other side live and thriving hive because that beautiful beast is a totally different animal. And so you need some experience in handling that particular lovely animal, in my opinion. My other caution about this book 
is that, well, it seems like every beekeeping book in the world that's not a standard beginner guide is something about, I mean, like the subtitle, Challenging Conventional Beekeeping. You know, it's about how the back cover says, ordinary beekeepers everywhere are contributing to the huge pressures honeybees are under. Though well-meaning and hardworking, they are part of the problem that has caused the decline. In this book, Tim Rowe challenges the hives and the hive management we all take for granted and offers instead a simpler hive, a new management approach, and a better way of working with our bees. And I would say all that's true. If you've been doing it with the the classic Langstroth method taught in most uh, new beekeeper schools, then these are going to be some techniques that in your third to fifth year, I believe would really come in handy. If you're just starting, please, please think about using all the same size box because it's so hard to back up once you've invested in equipment. (laughs) Ask me how I know, because I'm having a hard time enjoying my Layens hive as much as I want to, and I love it, but it's so, it's utterly incompatible with every other thing I have, and so I'm struggling with some things. So my caution is this. There's nothing magic about this rose hive build. It is pretty simply, now it does have a, a couple of little nice things that if you're building your own hive, a couple of little nice details but I'm not going to be building my own hive boxes uh, anytime soon from scratch anyway. And definitely not frames. I don't think there's anything in this book that would not work with the off-the-shelf equipment that you can buy most anywhere in the world. Whatever your standard is in your country, that is transitionable, I believe, to using all the same size boxes, particularly medium boxes. You know I'm fond of. But anyway, there's a lot, the whole back half of the book is kind of building, building these boxes, and they make a point to point out that if you build these boxes and sell them, you will be breaking a patent, but you're welcome to build as many of them on your own as you want. So to me, that isn't the best part of the book because, as I've said many times before, there's no magic in any particular shape or size of bot. The magic is in the bees and the beekeeper. So with those cautions, I am so happy to pass along this book to any patron who is interested. Just put your comment about your interest on the show notes post for this podcast at patreon.com slash fiveapple, and I will pass along this very interesting book to someone else. Okay, so with that, I will close. Thank you again to everyone who makes this show possible. Thank you to every single listener, whether you're a patron or not, that you are listening, you are trying to learn more about beekeeping and how to be a better beekeeper, or you're listening so that you can stay connected with your bees. Maybe you know every single thing I say already, but you're staying connected with bees. I just appreciate that. I celebrate your presence in the world. Have a wonderful week. I will be back, and the next episode, I want to talk to you about some really fascinating news articles on bees and beekeeping that I've run across. I've I've made myself a little collection of things to share with you, so please stay with me as we end one year and, Lord willing, start the next. I'll be doing some bee school episodes at the first, around the first of the year, first couple of months of the year. Going to go back and listen to the old bee school episodes and try to do them again and do them better. That's, that's, I think I'll just try that every year to do it a little better every year. So hopefully the first few months we'll have those. And then later in the year, one of the things I want to do is, is to actually make a list of my favorite techniques, the things that have made the most difference in my apiary to keep it going all this time. And then take that technique and do a show to, to go into the nuts and bolts of all that, because many times they're scattered throughout the various podcasts 
And I'd like to do like a whole show, for example, on the nucleus method and then a whole show on whatever kind of split I happen to love at the moment. (laughs) That way it'll be like a resource library to you. And if there's any way that you feel like I could help the beekeeping community through this podcast, any topics or anybody you would love to see interviewed on here, let me know. All right, signing off. This is Lee. You're welcome to email at blueridge714 at gmail.com or you're very welcome to say hello over at patreon.com slash fiveapple. Thanks so much. Have a wonderful week.